right, so um, I want to say welcome again, <clears throat> and we want to, just like we do every week, return to God's Word. And so we are in a series in Matthew, so we're just going to return to Matthew. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it uh, to Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 16. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 16. And two weeks ago, Pastor James did such a great job talking about um, being on mission, uh, being people that are not afraid to go out and to share the truth about Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at what Jesus promises to us, being faithful to go and tell others about salvation found in Him. Okay? So what does Jesus promise if we're going to go and tell the truth about Jesus. And so I'm going to have Kim come up right now and um, read for us our text, uh, Matthew 16, um, I'm sorry, Matthew 10, 16 through 25. This is the reading of God's word. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in the synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through them. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A, man, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? This is God's word. Thank you. So as you can see, this is a hard word. This is um, Jesus just basically summarizing the resistance to the gospel that's going to that's gonna happen. And Jesus doesn't pull any punches. Jesus is brutally honest here. Look, let's look back together at verse 16. He says, Behold, meaning like, check it out, look, listen. Behold, pay attention, Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now that's, a, that's, not, that's not a good picture, right? That's, that's not a pretty picture. Like, on a, on a more tame level, that would be like asking my family to play five-on-five five basketball against the Milwaukee Bucks. Before the NBA season was canceled, uh, the Bucks were number one in the league, and they are massively talented. And so my, my family hasn't played basketball ever before. So we're gonna play basketball against the Milwaukee Bucks, we're gonna get crushed. There is no, there is no chance of winning. No one in their right mind would bet on us, right? And the same is true with sheep and wolves. If those are the teams, uh, it's sheep versus wolf. No one's going to bet on the sheep, right? No one's betting on the sheep. That's just not going to happen. There's no chance of success 
whatsoever. The, the odds are so stacked against them. Sheep have no means to defend themselves against wolves. Sheep are sitting ducks against wolves. So that's a, that's a harsh, stark, sobering picture that Jesus just comes out with. So when I send you out, it's like sheep among wolves in verse 16. So he has some advice for us. What does he say? Look at it again. Look at verse 16. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So, so there's the factual statement and then comes the advice in light of the factual statement. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So in the ancient world, the serpent had the reputation of being, maybe someone would say crafty, or another word could be calculating. A uh, better word might be having prudence, being thoughtful and careful. So a, a sheep being sent out to where wolves are isn't just going to like walk head first into the wolf pack, right? They're going to have to be careful. They're going to have to be calculating so as to not get killed and eaten right away. But at the same time, you can think about the words crafty or calculating. That could easily turn into sin. And so Jesus is saying, don't let that happen either. He's saying, be crafty, be calculating, be, be wise. But you have to be innocent. You have to be innocent. And, and doves had the reputation of being innocent. That's why he says, be, be wise as serpents, be crafty, calculating as serpents, but be as innocent as doves. So you've got to be you gotta be thoughtful, you gotta be wise, but that can't lead you into sin as we go out on mission. So this is both, this is a careful combination. And that's not an easy combination. Wise and innocent. But think about this, think about Jesus. Jesus modeled this perfectly. Jesus modeled this perfectly. You think about how he interacted with the Pharisees. He was so wise. He never let them back him into a, a corner. He was always trying um, sorry, the Pharisees were always trying to back him into some corner, right? He wouldn't, he wouldn't let it happen. But at the same time, no one could ever accuse Jesus of sin. He was ultimately this. He was wise, but he was innocent. So here's what he says. He says, as we're sent out on mission to spread the gospel, make disciples, plant churches, there's going to be serious threats, right? Like sheep in the midst of wolves. We've got to be calculating. We've got to be innocent. Then he goes on to say this, verse 17, beware of men for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So he's given a, a future prediction here that that as you go out on mission, there's going to be people in high places that are going to pay attention, and there's going to be legal authorities that are not going to like the fact that we're spreading the gospel. He's just saying this is, this is true. Um, where is our copy of Insanity of God? Is that around here? Did you put it away? I wanted to highlight um, a, a book for you guys that we've been reading as a family. This is probably backwards on the screen. But uh, this book is called The Insanity of God, and we have been reading this out loud as a family. And I really want to encourage you, we just finished reading it out loud as a family, 
to get it and read it. It will truly inspire you because what Jesus says here in verse 17, he talks about and testifies to in this whole, in this whole book. He goes around and basically just interviews people that have experienced persecution all over the world in the last 50, 60, 70 years. And the reason why I want you to get this book and read it is because most of us in our context have not experienced verse 17. If you live in the Midwest, in my lifetime, you have not experienced, for the most part, I would be willing to bet, 99% of us have not experienced verse 17. But it happens all over the world. It has happened all over the world, and it is happening all over the world. If you ask a believer in China right now, if they've experienced verse 17, I, I would imagine most everyone at least knows somebody who's experienced verse 17, or in Morocco, or in Iran. And the answer would probably, yes, I've, I've heard of someone at least, or I know experientially what it's like, verse 17. Or someone who lived under communist rule in the USSR uh, in the last 30, 40 years. So Jesus just says here in verse 17, that he just assumes that it's normal, that if we're faithful, this kind of thing is going to happen. So here's the deal for us in the Midwest, in Madison, in 2020, like if the cultural tide changes, and it very well could, just remember Matthew 10. Jesus seems to think that this kind of scenario will be normal. So just remember that we're the exception. We're not the rule. We are the exception. And that could very easily change. You just think of the rapid changes culturally in the last 20 years. It would not be far-fetched for us to see verse 17 happen in Madison in the next 20, 30 years. So Jesus gives a dire warning here. He doesn't pull punches. He's just, he's real honest. And he wants our expectations appropriately managed. He wants his followers to know what they're getting into, right? So the question for us is, can we bear this hard word? Like this is a hard word. This is a warning. And the question for us is, if this kind of pressure came on us, like it's happening in many places in the world today, the question for us is, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? And, and that's a hard question to answer. That's a hard question to answer, right? And it's probably impossible to answer. It's kind of an unfair question. But it, I think it's good for us just to at least ask ourselves, if we can imagine that scenario, is Jesus worth it? At minimum, let's just pray today that we would have the strength to stay faithful if this type of scenario would, would fall on us. But here's what's awesome. Here's, here's what happens. Jesus, on the heels of this challenging warning, he gives a word of comfort. Look at verse 19. A word of comfort. Verse 19. He says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious. Wow. Wow. He just commands us to not be anxious. He says, don't be anxious about what you're going to say, how you're to speak, or what you are to say. Why? Well, here's the reason why. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Spirit of your Father speaking through you. What is, like, the, the, the translation here is, 
I will be with you, Jesus says. I will be with you by the power of the Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit will come over you. And what an amazing promise. If you find yourself in some crazy public speaking type situation, Jesus promises to be with you. Now, I know for many of us, the idea of public speaking is horrifying, right? Many of us have horrible memories. I don't know about you guys, my, my immediate audience here, my family, um, are scared of public speaking. You guys feel scared of public speaking? Not much? Maya, how about you? Taylor loves it. Taylor loves it. I do. <laughs> um, Emery might not be a huge fan. Um, Emery, are you a huge fan of public speaking? He says this. Um, like a lot of you, like you think back to high school and you think back to um, speech class or whatever and you can remember having to give that speech and it's sweaty palms and dry mouth and knees shaking. Some of you can relate to that experience of having to, to speak publicly. I have a poignant memory. I don't think I've even told my family this story. I have a poignant memory of not public speaking, but public singing. And the irony is um, 20, 20 years after this happened, I, I started getting paid to, to, to lead worship in churches and, and sing publicly every week. But in fourth grade, I was terrified. And I wanted to try out for the school play. I went to a K through 12 school and we did um, plays uh, every year. And our, our high school, um, our whole school, in fact, was uh, doing The Sound of Music. And they were having the younger kids try out for the parts of the little kids. And um, so I tried out fourth grade. And what we had to do in the tryout was they had to hear us sing. And so I remember I could still see my mind because I was terrified. Um, they, they had us all kind of s stood in, in line in, in front of those that were the directors. And we had to just kind of go down the line and sing a couple lines so that the directors could hear us sing. And so they start at one end, and we had to like just sing this little thing that we had prepared. And everyone sang the same thing. They just want to hear us sing. And it kept coming closer and closer to me, and I kept getting more and more freaked out. Like, I've never sang in public before. This is freaking me out. And so it got closer and closer, and it got really close to my turn. I just bolted. I just ran. And I remember this feeling of shame. Like cascade over me that I, I bailed out and I gave in to the fear that I didn't want to sing in public. I couldn't stand the pressure. Yeah, it's just very ironic that I became a, a public musician later in life. But that's kind of my story. I know many of you have this fear of public speaking. Um, and that's very, very normal. But what we have here in this text is is a heightened intensity beyond just normal public speaking in speech class in high school. This is being called before legal authorities where your public speaking has a lot at stake. And what's so cool in this text is that Jesus says that if you ever find yourself in that scenario, maybe it's not governors or rulers, maybe it's just neighbors, maybe it's your boss at work, maybe it's a family member. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. In what form? In the form of you actually having God speak through you. Like that's an intense form of intimacy. That God is actually speaking through you, given words by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's saying you don't have to fear. 
The intimacy of God himself will be upon you in that moment. You don't have to prepare like those hours and hours of preparation like you had for the speech class in high school because you were so nervous. Jesus is saying, you don't have to prepare because I'm going to be with you. In fact, he commands you not to prepare. It won't be you speaking, but the power of God speaking through you. What an amazing promise of provision. Let me just read it again. Let's just meditate on this again. When, you de- when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. All right, so let's establish what we've got so much so far from this text. Number one, as we're sent out on mission, we've got to be wise and innocent as we share our faith. Expect it that persecution is normal. There's going to be resistance. Sometimes it's going to be heavy resistance. But God promises to be with us in the persecution and provide for us. Let's keep reading. Verse 21. Brother will, de- will, will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Like, that's intense. That's intense. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, this is about as emotionally challenging as it possibly could get. The people in our immediate families, biological families, turning against us because of the gospel. And sadly, many of you know what this is like. Many of you know what this is like. I've experienced a form of this in my own extended family. And it's as painful as it gets. It brought me to tears. And it leaves a deep memory groove in the brain for those of us who have experienced things like this. But Jesus says, he challenges us in the midst of this. Verse 22, what does he say? He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. He said, perseverance is the key. And we persevere in light of the previous promise. We persevere in, the, in light of the promise of his presence. That's where the hope for perseverance comes from. Meditating on the fact that he promises to be with us in this kind of deep, challenging, horrific resistance. So what does he say? He says, basically, salvation is not found in perfect harmony in your biological family. Salvation is found in sticking with Jesus, no matter the cost. If you endure with Jesus, he promises to keep you and have you. All right, let's read the rest of the text. Verse 24. When they persecute in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now this is a confusing verse. Because the language of before the Son of Man comes almost always refers to Jesus returning in his second coming. But that's not what it means here. Now why would we say that? What what does Jesus have in mind here? Is he saying that his disciples, as they're sent out, they're not going to finish testifying about him before he dies, rises, and comes again? Well, that's usually what we would think, but that's not what he means here. See, Matthew was writing this probably decades after his original audience um, knew of Jesus' resurrection. So Matthew would have clearly known 
that Jesus had not returned the second time as he's writing this for an original audience. So what does he mean by verse 23? You will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. It probably means Jesus' coming back to his disciples in the resurrection. He's just saying that I will return to you in my resurrected body after they've killed me and this mission is going to continue with the power of the Spirit given to you. Meaning, it's not going to be that long before I'm killed and I'm risen from the dead and I'm returned to you. And you will have still been on mission to to tell about me. And that's going to continue. So that's just kind of a gnarly, um, challenging thing that we find in this text that we have to kind of make sense of. And and here, let's, let's finish this out with verse 24. And it's just Jesus reminding his audience, them then, us now, that as we go on mission, as we go, whether it's in North Africa or in Ecuador or in Madison to plant churches and to make disciples, he promises persecution and suffering. And he doesn't pull punches. He says this, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So Jesus just reminds his followers that he was accused of being filled with the spirit of Satan. And that's about as bad as an insult as you can find. And he's just saying the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Like if God is our father and Jesus is our brother, then we will be treated in the same way as Jesus was treated. Jesus again, he just wants us to be sobered to the reality of following him. So what do we have here this morning? Let's just review what this text has for us. We gotta be wise and innocent as we share our faith. Persecution, Jesus just promised that it's, a, it's normal. But because Jesus died for our sins and rose again from the dead and sent his spirit to be with us, when he says that I will be with you in the midst of these trials like this, you can bank on it. You can bank on the, that promise being true, as true as the history of Jesus dying for your sins and being raised from the dead. That's true in history. And so he's saying, since that's true, you can know that I'll be with you if you get dragged to testify before those in power. And so Jesus says, as emotionally painful as this is, know that I will be with you. These are hard words from Jesus. These are hard words from Jesus. But he wants us to take comfort that because of what happened 2,000 years ago in space, time, and history, Jesus dying for our sins, We can have hope, we can have trust, we can have faith in the midst of these trials. He is with us. He says there's nothing to fear. And here's what I ultimately find my comfort in. Another form of this promise of of me being with you, Jesus says, is in, in the Great Commission. I'm just reminded of Matthew 28. If you fast forward a few chapters, 18 chapters, what does Jesus say? He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So Jesus talks in this chapter about the ruling authorities of our day, governors and rulers, and them dragging you before them and saying, you better give account for why you believe this, why are you disrupting our culture? 
And Jesus says, check it out. They seem like they're in authority, but be reminded, Matthew 28, I'm the one in authority. He says, all authority in heaven and earth. That's, that's way more than the, the, the mayor of Madison. It's way more than the governor of Wisconsin. Saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. So you don't have to be scared of them. Because I'm the one that truly has authority. And what does he say? He says, lo, I am with you always, even to the very end. It's just another promise of provision of presence. Promise of provision of presence. And he's saying, just focus on the true authority. Focus on the one with all authority. Nothing can touch us eternally if our hope is connected to the one who's ultimately in authority. That's the, the hope that we have this morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word that in light of the pressure of persecution, we can trust in the promise of your provision of being with us in your presence. And so, Lord, we thank you for this word, and may you apply it to our hearts now and in the coming days so that we can be bold and we can share our faith without fear because we know that you promised to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So before we sign off this morning, in uh, whatever groups you find yourself in this morning, uh, I want to give you five questions to talk about. And so just discussion questions from the text, real simple. And Vine family, uh, these are posted on the important channel on Slack, so you don't have to write them down. Number one, what do you find most challenging in this text? What do you find most challenging in this text? Number two, what do you find most comforting in this text? Number three, what does this text tell us about God? What does this text tell us about God? Could you reflect on these questions yourselves and maybe give someone a call and say, hey, my pastor asked me to reflect on these. Can I talk these through with you? Um, let's, let's forsake isolation as much as we can. Let's keep using technology in our favor as we, um, as we disperse now uh, to be salt. And um, looks like we had a, a, a little um, mess up there, but looks like we're back on now. So anyway, those are our questions. We love you. We trust you. Uh, we trust that you'll uh, stay together in this time. We love God and we trust God. And so we'll see you, God willing, next week. Love you guys.